This is the Strength and Anger Podcast, part of the Berserker Strength Radio Network, featuring APF Illinois State Chairman Eric Stone, as well as AAPF AWPC Powerlifter Robert Bain. We are coming at you from 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois, and you can find this podcast online on anchor.fm. All right, Mr. Bain, here we are, episode 47. We're back, man. It's been too long. We are back. Uh, where have we been, Mr. Bain? Uh, kind of everywhere. Yeah, we've been pretty busy. Um, you know, our usual record day is usually Monday, Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And last week, I was deep into uh, getting stuff ready for Worlds, and yeah. I kind of had a couple deadlines that I had to get stuff done, specifically my awards order. I had, like, a certain deadline and just had to kind of stick my head in the... Uh, in the computer for a couple of days there. So, yeah, you know, I was busy and obviously traveling this past weekend and uh, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, but yeah, so definitely a lot of stuff on the calendar. It, it's exciting to be back doing things again. Yeah. Uh, it, it's exciting to be kind of back doing meets. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, so what is, what else has been going on there? Uh, Stone, you, you got some feedback here from some other episodes? Yeah, I, I got, I think some, some decent feedback on my rant <laughs> on, a, on a certain, we will say unknown raw lifter. Hashtags, what a waste of time. Yeah, hashtag so what. <laughs> um, yeah, I think my rant uh, resonated with a few people, and I guess did. I guess this is something that he is known to do. I didn't previously have much interaction with this lifter. so Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's a known thing, and uh, definitely this lifter was a topic of discussion uh, when I was out in Atlantic City, and uh, your, your rant was appreciated by a one particular individual that – his rant was uh, geared towards. So. Ah, perfect, perfect. Yeah, pretty nice. Um, and it seemed like we got pretty good, not like a, a lot of specific feedback, but a lot of people that just liked um, maybe just the why episode and the the manner in which we articulated, Yeah, you know, why we do the or at least do. I and you future, mm-hmm. in the future, will, you know, compete equipped. And I think sometimes it is valuable for people to just you know it's something you like feel it's something you Mm -hmm. that you maybe just haven't taken a second to articulate and sometimes when you do it's like oh yeah those are some of the reasons why i do x in this case equipped lifting so just uh, another perspective sometimes or or uh, uh, an associated perspective and you're right this helps validate some people's choices or sometimes their choice not to do something Sure. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely reasons not to lift equipped. Yeah. Um, you know, they could be some of the opposites you, you of the just things like we talked about. <laughs> practice. Do my practice. So, other than that, Mr. Bain, what has been going on? Well, I uh, just got back from Atlantic City Record Breakers. Uh, that is what I've effectually coined the term for the meet that I uh, that I went to this weekend, aka IPA Worlds. Uh, correct. Uh, so this is not affiliated with the APF. Uh, and it's interesting because I had a you lot of... You can go back to our, uh, our <laughs> Alphabet Soup episode if you want to know where IPA came from. Yeah. Short short answer, Mark Chalet split from the APF to form the IPA. Right. So so interesting, the amount of times that we have referenced our Alphabet Soup episode uh, was actually commented on this weekend, uh, which I will also get to about people recognizing me, that we refer to it almost every episode. It's like, well, yeah, because there are fe- 75,000 different federations and you had this need... You know that to to keep it all together, we didn't even hit all of them. We just hit you know some of the major. We hit ones the only the ones at the time. There's been some that's been added since then. Yeah, I know it's crazy. So. Even the last ninety days. But but we we kept we kept it domestic, let alone federations outside of the country. That's yeah. a whole different animal. Yeah, that that gets beyond what probably the yeah. the context of what we can do. Exactly. 
So, so a couple things about this meet uh, was not huge. Huge. It was thirty-five lifters. It took over ten hours. I've been at meets like that before, Mister Bain. It was. I mean, they had three models. One of them broke during warmups, and so everybody ended up, you know, warming up on the competition mono. So you're saying, including the competition model, if they had three models, so two models in the warm-up room and one on the platform, and, and the warm-up room was with no divider, was six feet back from the competition platform. Uh-huh. And, again, this is just not what I'm used to. And so this was an environment that I, I was if, – if it was my first time lifting, I would not have enjoyed this whatsoever. Uh, but other people did. I will say this, that uh, the gym that was promoting the meet, uh, Skiba's gym, they were trying to make it about the lifters. There were a lot of things that were very lifter-friendly. Uh, they Essentially, there was no time limit on any lift. Uh, that, which was mind-boggling to me. And, and again, I, I wasn't there, and I don't want to criticize another meat director because meat directing is hard, and it's hard to move equipment. It's hard mm-hmm. to find people to help. It's, oh yeah, you know, all of it's very challenging. So I empathize with them, but I, I would give the perspective of somebody who generally has run the clock, um, not to the point where like if somebody's you know standing up with the squat bar and it's their first meet, we're just going to time them out before they get the squat command. Right. But I feel like when you do time people. The advantage is that then other people can time their attempts and their warm-ups appropriately. Right. I think it actually makes for a better meet experience when you're timing it because then it it, it keeps people dialed in and focused on the meet. The the exception would be, you know, like at the, the press and the pieces together. We knew that it was only a two-flight meet, and we had some yeah. very big lifters in the second flight. So right. we, instead of going from one flight right into the next as we typically would do we essentially went on just a, a, a session t- type of not a session but just a, a designated start time similar right. to what they did for us at awpc world they yes. just said flight b is going to start at x time no matter how long flight a takes right because they knew it would be a fast flight right we knew it would probably take less than 45 minutes and we said you know we're going to start flight a at five and start flight b at five forty-five. yep and <clears throat> that would make sure that people can time their warm-ups you know, for, at a definite time frame, as right. opposed to the ambiguity of the previous flight's time frame. Yeah. So there was tons of uh, other, would it's like oddball things that kind of like they use a fifty-pound deadlift bar, uh, which I've never even heard of a fifty-pound deadlift bar. Yeah, it's an it's an Iron Wolf bar, and it was a piece of trash. That's interesting because usually Iron Wolf bars are they know they're out of business now, but they were usually kind of thought of as like you know the then they were really really expensive like stainless steel the gold oh, yeah. standard hundred percent stainless steel squat yeah, bar a- and bench bars were were supposedly very nice. I've never seen a, an Iron Wolf deadlift bar. It's yeah. odd that it's fifty pounds though. It was, yeah, and, and so like all the loading schemes really weird. Uh, one part that I did, and this is my major criticism of like the the viewing experience. There was no electronics whatsoever. No electronic scoring system, no screen to tell you the loading scheme. There literally was a guy with a sheet of paper. That's literally, do, that's do, literally what we used to do. Yeah. And the the judges had paddles, and they would just show, like, ping pong paddles. One side black, one side red. And it led to a lot of uh, issues with, you know, how lifts were scored. There were a couple of lists that they appeared to be disallowed, right? and in actuality, the lifter got the lift. Uh, yeah, that's why usually have lights or yeah. in the old days when the lights would run out we do thumbs up thumbs down right that that started a little bit into bench but during squats there was it's just a paddle there was a judge i've who, seen flags before yeah seen that uh the ipf does that a lot actually uh there was an official i do not know this person's name they were on their phone almost the entire day like texting like 
it, it just I, I could not understand this. Uh, the other criticism I have is during Anna McCluskey's 780-pound uh, squat attempt, they were attempting to get video to show proper depth and give some type of all-time world record cr- accreditation, which should be the judge's job, as I understand from you know, the judging perspective. That's why there's three of them. So I was asked to spot for her specifically. We were allowed to bring up spotters for our crews. And he actually tried to move me away from the bar, and I screamed at this old man. I won't repeat what I said because everybody at the meet heard it, that basically he needs to change his angle because I'm keeping her safe and I don't care about his stupid iPad. And uh, from what I understand, I may already be banned from the IPA <laughs> because of that. Okay. So don't care uh, because, again, I, I was not going to compromise the lifter's safety uh, so he could get a sweet video angle. Uh, again, yeah, and, I, and I, I, I guess I do get both perspectives on that, and that is why generally we don't allow people to bring up their own spotters and why we mm-hmm. always try to make sure that we have a spotting crew that is, A, capable of handling the lift, and, Correct. B, can put themselves in a position so the judges can accurately judge. However, our judges are always at the perspective, you know, put the lifter's safety first, mm-hmm. you know, don't block my view, right? but I will move in order to get an and, optimal and view there, there was within some, reason. There was some movement, uh, you know, to get optimal views, but uh, in that case, when this guy's trying to, you know, film it, I'm like, nah, man, you, you just got to figure out a different spot. There's se- 70 other cameras that are out right now, like, you'll be fine. Uh, all that said, again, not my usual meet experience, but also probably one of the top three funnest meets I've ever been to uh, because of just the number of people and the way things were kind of worked out. It essentially was the crews from New York and then basically our crews from Deathwish Barbell, from uh, CTX in Orlando, Alan Pilly and his crew were up, uh, and then Atlantic City Barbell, uh, Bob Merck and, uh, and his group. So we, we legit have about half the meet. So if you see any pictures that I posted of the meet, uh, we tried to crowd into the hallway, all of us in one picture, and zero social distancing going on. Uh, and that was about half the meet between lifters and, uh, and spectators, which was pretty cool. So uh, definitely enjoyed that, made some new friends, uh, had some good training myself on Saturday, and that's kind of what's been going on. So I kind of took up a lot of time there with uh, our review of Atlantic City Record Breakers. But uh, Stone, what's going on with you, man? Yeah, I don't have nearly as much to talk about there. <laughs> um, Worlds is, you know, at this, the recording of this about less than two weeks away. It's yeah, about we're 12 a, days out, man. Yeah, a week and a half away. So uh, I'm deep into getting that ready. And if anybody's asking about spectators and all that stuff, I'm, I'm trying to work on all that. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an episode in the future chronicling oh, yeah. the planning of 2020 WPC Worlds because it has been uh, the most probably unique meat planning mm-hmm. experience I've I've had. Yeah. And it actually probably exceeds last year's Can Am, which was a whole we have a whole episode talking oh, yeah, about Yeah, I mean that was a whole thing. We're talking about, you know, the planning of bringing the WPO to Chicago and then mm-hmm. the Can Am and everything that went along with that. Um, this probably exceeds that with uh, with Corona which is as part ex- of it. And exceptional because we had to plan <clears throat> for ESPN, we had a whole venue, we had an entire event going on yes. around that. Yes, this probably exceeds that. That's, that's pretty great. close, but uh, with everything that's gone on, and I'm assuming hopefully everything goes well, but I'm sure there's more things to happen in the next two weeks. Oh, yeah, we got trust me, something will happen. <laughs> so that is what is going on with me, Mr. Bain. Um, what is bullshit, Mr. Bain? The old, the meat didn't go as planned, or it just wasn't my day post. Okay. Seen a few of these, and... <sighs> I look at it like this. We, we, we do this whole powerlifting thing, and we we train, and we, like, you pretty much know going in what's going to happen that day. You know if your training's been shit. And, you know, you know if you're dialed in, 
and it's redemption time, or you know if you're gonna, you know, be call and collect, uh, so to speak, at the meet. And I, I just, I understand like some things do happen. Like somebody gets hurt. Okay, that's that's legitimate. But at the end of the day, just own it. Get a shitty training cycle. Guess what? If you're in this for the long haul, there will be other meets. And so the whole, like, it just wasn't my day post always kind of cracks me up because I'm like, man, you knew, like, you had that queued up and ready. And you knew this wasn't going to be a good day. So I just think that's bullshit whenever I see that. So uh, I like this one a lot. Stone, what is bullshit? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um <laughs> We could probably do a whole chronicling of emails Eric Stone's gotten. That's for, a whole episode, I think. For just, WPC just, Worlds. Just, just reading, in general. Just reading emails. Um, oh, is that the Lombard beat? <laughs> <laughs> wanting special accommodations. And it's like, I, I get it sometimes that, like, it's hard to know everything that's going on with everything. Sure. I, I would say sometimes people could just search in just a little bit to find answers to questions rather than... Like at the top of the sheet that you're sending in? Right. Asking me where to mail the entry form in when at the top of the entry blank it says where to mail it. But, you know, I get that. I, I understand questions. I've probably asked stupid questions before. So I'm, I'm usually... There's no stupid questions, just stupid people. <laughs> I'm usually pretty benevolent on that. Um, when it becomes like 10 questions and, you know, it's like... I send you the link and I'm not, sometimes I've actually sent people the link or take a screenshot and then actually circle it on my phone so mm-hmm. they can see where it is. That gets a little annoying, but it's the people that know the information mm-hmm. or they don't even look for it, but then when they find it or when they learn it, they want some kind of special accommodation. It's like, oh, well, the weigh-ins are only the day before for the meet. Well, well can I just weigh in at 6 a.m. the day of the meet? That would really be more convenient for me. Wrong. It's like, no, like it's a big meet. This is the WANs. If you don't like it, nobody's requiring you to sign up. Right, exactly. Oh, well, that's that. Are you saying I have to come to the meat venue or, or the WAN place twice? Yes. Yes, that is what I'm saying. Uh, you mean you can't set up my own special division for me to compete in that doesn't exist in the organization? No. A, I don't make that decision. But B, why? B, why? Like, you're probably already going to be in a class with barely anybody in it. Why do we need an even more unique class is that just so you, for you can sit a world record precisely <laughs> that's some serious ear cancer right it's all the levels on that one yeah geez so yeah special accommodations for you you're not unique you're not special just and, and but mom said i was if people you know say hey you know this this really unique scenario is there any way we could do this fast nicely Occasionally, I've made an exception, but when you're a dickhead to me, no, you're oh, definitely not good. And still, most of the time, I, I, most of the time, I would say no, anyways, because mm-hmm. it just is what it is. But I appreciate when people ask nicely. But when you call me literally like twelve times a day, every day, and then don't leave a message, and then when I you I finally pick up my phone and you want special accommodations, no. But, you know what's wrong no. with leaving a voicemail? Is that so crazy? Oh, we. The people that are calling you, first off, are psychopaths. You don't call with phones. You text with them. I'm okay with calling, but, like, I can't always answer it, especially when you're calling the gym phone. Like, just leave a voicemail. I will return it within 24 hours. Yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, you do run a good meet, but you are an asshole, and so that, that could be why they don't leave the message. Could be. <laughs> so, Mr. Bain. Er- Eric's not an asshole. I love Eric. But. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Bain, let's move on to the Powerlifting USA throwback. Throwback, throwback, throwback. Presented by... 
Deathwish Barbell. Hashtag has- Raw is easy. Hashtag Raw is easy. Uh, our friends at Deathwish Barbell, who you saw this I weekend. I did. I got to hang out with Jason. And did he compete? Uh, he did not. He did not. But uh, Ralph did. And, uh, who was Ralph? One of his lifters? Ralph was one of the lifters, yep. And then, uh, so he competed Multiply. Uh, actually, he passed out. And so I got to give him a, a reverse hug. So he was excited about that. Perfect. Uh, and then I believe his, uh, I, can't, I can't recall if it's his girlfriend or his wife. Uh, is doing her first multiply meet uh, next month, which is very exciting. So okay, uh, she cool. actually handles all their t-shirt orders. Be sure to reach out to Deathwish Barbell. They have uh, hoodies now, uh, which have the Raw Easy hashtag on there. And uh, so definitely uh, appreciate their partnership and spreading the good news of uh, the strength and the angers. So we're going to look at an issue from June of 2007. Going way back, man. Mr. Bain, what were you doing in June 2007? Uh, well, I was still deep into my soccer career. Um cares about soccer. Ooh, not going to yell this time. Uh, I was actually working at uh, Red Robin. I was helping to open their Cedar Rapids store. It's where uh, my wife and I lived uh, at the time. So I was, Endless steak fries? Hmm? Uh, yeah, bottomless fries. I also have bottomless garlic fries. I don't think they had that at the one here previously, the last time I went to Naperville. Uh, they should. They've had that for a few years now. We actually uh, well, this is out. Years ago. Okay, fair. Years ago, like when I was in almost in high school. Oh, so. geez, yeah. So they probably didn't have it at that point. Yeah, so. it was just bottomless um, steak fries at that point. Yeah, which they I do have, and they are delicious. Bottomless garlic fries. That sounds delicious. They are phenomenal. Can, we get a, can you get us a Red Robin sponsorship for uh, for the Strength and Anger podcast? I, I would love to. I, I have a funny story about why I'm not there anymore, but we'll, uh, we'll talk about that offline. Oh, so, okay. Uh, I actually look back at my training logs. I, do, I actually do keep pretty uh, detailed logs. Uh, going. Uh, I should have looked back at mine, but I don't, have, I don't think I have my... My 07 one might be at home. Yeah, so I was only lifting two times a week, but I was playing soccer four times a week, and then I was running one day a week as well. So I was putting good amount of miles on the old body there. Uh, on Nick's birthday. Running's for losers. Running is fucking stupid. Done enough running in my lifetime. Trust me. I, I, Who are you running from? That's the thing. If you see me running, run with me, because I'm either running from something much bigger than me or I'm running to the buffet. <laughs> Buffets are done. Sorry, player. Buffets are canceled. We don't do buffets anymore. Don't you put that evil on me, Eric Stone. <laughs> anyway. Sorry. Uh, but I squatted three plates for ten reps on Nick's birthday on uh, on June 12th, which I thought was kind of funny that I had that like highlighted specifically, and I don't know why. You were all fired up to give, I, her, I, to give her her birthday present, I, huh? Apparently, but I wouldn't have had anything left after three plates for ten reps. But anyway. Mm, I see. Mm-hmm. This is Stone. What were you doing? Uh, I would have been working full-time at Velocity. Mm-hmm. Kind of would have been in my uh, my – my, you know, run there of four or five years. Um, Team Stone would have just started probably about the year prior. I, I, I can't remember exactly. And you and Jackie were married a year, maybe? Yeah, we'd been married uh, at that time. Yeah, you guys we, were a year after us, so. Yeah, we would have been married uh, just under a year at that point. Okay. Just gotcha. under a year. Our, our uh, anniversary is July 1st. Uh-huh. So, yeah, Team Stone would have just started feel, around feel that time. Freedom. And that was at Velocity, and I started working there full-time, I th- think, around that same time of of 06 when we yeah. got married. So it nice. was around that time that I started working full-time at Velocity that we started the team because I was working Saturdays, and it was challenge for me to get to Franz Gym anymore. Yeah. So uh, running meets, uh, working as a strength coach for Velocity Sports Performance. Mm-hmm. Um, no children. No. Oh, I don't even know what that's like, man. Yeah, <laughs> but you'll, your kids will all be out of the house, and mine will still be like you oh, know, in God, high school. I can't, I can't wait for that. Um, so on the cover of the June 2007 issue, we've got A.J. Mangum. 
He is a. I, I can't think that was Magnum, and no, it's Mangum. Mangum, and we could call him Magnum. I yeah, mean, I mean, um, I love the chick that's just sitting here with her just you know, ogling, just with her sideways hat, you know, and probably running that computer system. That, if you look at that, Mister Bain, that's an old system we used to use. Yeah, which only would have uh, just the weight and kilos and pounds in the bar load. It was called. It was a special program. Actually, it was mediumly expensive, and it didn't do any scoring. You would just project it on the wall, and it would only give you the load in the bar, and you could have a clock on there. Well, it would give you the attempt, but everything had to be manually put in. So if you had your own computerized scoring system, then you'd have to separately have a separate person you know, kind of running this extra computer sure. to project it on the wall. But as you talked about with this recent meet where – you know, you had literally a judge on an old school, like laminated loading chart, yep. or maybe just oh, a paper. Well, it wasn't even laminated. Oh yeah, yeah, just a, just literally a piece of paper, like our notes here. Yep. Um, then you know they've got to yell out the the weights as opposed to here. At least the spotter loaders, you know, would have it projected up on the wall, and it's actually right. kind of nice. You could actually put the lifter's name in there. Right. Like, it doesn't. I always kind of like that. It doesn't look like that has it in there. there. There's some parts of it that I did like to this old program because mm-hmm. it was bigger it just had the lifter's name the attempt the weight and the time it didn't have like the whole scoring program if i was really smart mm-hmm. like ben sand in michigan he actually has a way to do that with our program and you need somehow like two computers connected and then a separate computer when i read the table at one of the michigan meets the other year and i was announcing taking attempts scoring and running two computers. That's what Ben wow. Santa does. Did, did you do weigh-ins too while you're at it? Or? Yeah. I mean, geez. It's like you do all these jobs at once, Ben. Um, wow. I, I felt bad because he was doing all those at once, so I wanted to give him a spell to yeah. you know, just take a break. And I was like, wow, he's doing all these jobs at once. So anyways, uh, that's AJ on the cover. I mm-hmm. looked him up on the open powerliftings. Uh, I love what he's had the S at the, the, yeah. the interwebs, the Instagrams. Uh, he did a 281 bench and a 666 deadlift at 181 single ply as a teenager. Wow. That's pretty darn impressive. That's solid. Um, he only competed from 07 to 2011. He hit some moderately bigger lifts than that, but, you know. So he um, is the guy who deadlifted 600 plus pounds in high school. He actually did. And not that big of a guy. I mean, 181 single yeah. ply. Um, although it's interesting, they lift their they list their bench for wobble as single ply in open powerlifting because they literally allow double ply shirts. Depending on the type of shirt, if we go back to one of our other Plusa throwbacks, yep. where we talked about wobble and their you know just odd, you know, they said a lot of weird rules, stream of consciousness rules like yeah. certain shirts double ply, other shirts single ply, you know. Speaking other sh- of weird rules, IPA no baby powder, really, what, and what no can, socks, no socks allowed, required. Oh, okay. I, that I get, but no baby powder allowed. Allowed, correct. Can so what can you use on your thighs? Nothing. So just fucking just just, just rip, rip just, it up. Just rip it up because yeah. there's there was one foreign organization that they allowed only pool cue chalk, so that you could like rub on, and it wasn't the loose baby powder. Um, and that I guess I kind of got because baby powder is a bitch to clean up, and sure, I hate it. Sure. And I hate it up in the chalk box, so I understand it. But which happens every fucking meet? Yeah, I don't get that. Um, but nonetheless, um, let's move on, Mr. Bain. We had – I, I love this article, off-season training by Lewin Simmons. We don't have an off-season. We don't have an off-season at West because we don't take D-Lows. Right, exactly. So the title of the article is off-season training, and, like, the first line of the article is we don't have an off-season. <laughs> <laughs> 
And one of his points was if you stop training for two weeks, you'll have a loss of 10% of your strength, which... I don't believe the science on that. I, Yeah, I'm not sure that it adds up there. I mean, if you take two weeks off, you are going to lose strength. You're probably not going to lose that much. I mean, it depends. Like he talked about, like, you know, he used some simple math. Like if somebody has a 2,500 total and they lose 10%, they'd lose 250 pounds off their total. Now, in my opinion, as someone who's been around a long time, if you take your average lifter that totals 2,500, you know, in a meet, mm-hmm. they could total 2,500 that day. But two weeks from then, they probably couldn't have totaled 2,500 again. No, probably not. I mean, usually, I mean, even Westside apparently peaks for meets because they have a circumax phase, which is anywhere. Circumax. Which is anywhere from one to five weeks <laughs> where you have transmutation. So you would think that, you know, yes, they do peak for meets yes. to some degree. Yes. Uh, and Louis's point was that there's always someone training for meat. And, you know, when you're training for meat and I'm not and vice versa, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're trying to push each other. And, um, you know, there's always somebody that's doing circa max. So maybe I'm not going quite as heavy band tension as you are, but I'm still doing it when you're doing it because you're it's, following. It's kind it. of this hive mind process where it's like everybody's got to follow along with it. And that, I think, is one of the things about Westside that makes it work, mm-hmm. to be fair. But, you know, it, it, when you look at their training logs and they're like, oh, well, today we just did max effort sled drags. It's like, okay, that, that's a deload. Like, I mean, that's cool. I mean, he um, says it right in there. You can't push it 52 weeks a year. Right. And, you know, the philosophy of Westside, the general philosophy is that as opposed to in block training or periodization where you're trying to hit different qualities, hit different strengths at different parts of your training cycle. Right. Westside is trying to do all of them at the same time. Mm-hmm. But even from a psychological perspective, from a physiological perspective, there's no way you can push it balls to the wall 52 weeks a year. Unless you're Chuck because he never took a deal. Yeah, he did when he like got in a car accident and, you know, was in the hospital. I'm sure he took a deload. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I get it. And that is their <laughs> philosophy. And that's what they do there. Um, there was an interesting article. And I think we must have had uh, an issue with it was a month or two after this one mm-hmm. where... Bob Gaynor had another article on the history of powerlifting. This looks like the first of that series, and this is now. the history of powerlifting the early years. Um, I, I was literally thinking this as I was reading through the notes, like, yeah, maybe we should yeah, pull this it, all together. Right. It would be something where I think maybe we should look through those various articles and put it together for, you know, kind of a history of powerlifting mm-hmm. uh, episode. And we've got the history of strength sports, Instagram, Facebook. I don't know the actual person behind that, but I'm sure they're... There is a person. Yeah, there, um, there is. They're, they're, I mean, they've given us a couple shout-outs, so right. I think it'd be good to... They would maybe, be maybe an interesting person to have on to mm-hmm. to talk about some of that kind of stuff and maybe, you know, use these articles and use their... They seem to have a lot of knowledge. Um, well, they've been crowdsourcing a lot of stuff. They get stuff from a lot of people, and then they kind of help curate it. Um, but a lot of folks based in Europe, obviously, because that's where they're based at in the UK. Uh, interesting. They have a partnership with people who are doing these, like, strength tours around different countries, like something that I've kind of wanted to do for a while. Uh, they like they have one in Iceland where people are, are signing up for trips and flying to Iceland and doing strongman things. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, there was an interview with Nick Winters, who's a guy we've talked about a couple different mm-hmm. times. Uh, he was a local guy from around here, south suburbs. Um, this was in 2007. He would go on to die, uh, you know, a very early death. I mean, he was a young guy at this time, but you know, died in 2010, only three years after that. Um, you know, I don't need to go through the article, but it was interesting that he was mostly a raw lifter. He mm-hmm. did train some at Westside, um, and he did train in conjugate for raw, which, and he was one the of the, work for raw. Yeah, and he was one of the strongest raw benchers at that time. So, 
you know, I think conjugate certainly ca can work for raw, and he does talk in the article about changing some of the max effort exercises to favor more the bottom end of the lift, but mm -hmm. still how he felt that, you know, triceps were very important, a um, lot of volume, a lot of volume. That's one of his... Uh, All the volume, so much volume. Yeah, exactly. Um, there was an article by Dr. Larry Miller, who was a semi-famous long-term, you know, bench presser. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it seemed like this article was in response to John Groves' quote, my vision for powerlifting, mm -hmm. um, an article the previous month, which would actually be interesting to go back and look at maybe that, that uh, you know, uh, May issue from 2007 to see exactly what John Groves said. Like 07, they were really just cranking out good stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, John Grove was a, uh, a guy who owned a gym in Georgia. Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Um, he was an APF state chairman, meet director. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems like Dr. Larry Miller, who was really upset about how, you know, at this time, Powerlifting USA, and we go through it every, every week when we mm -hmm. do a Palooza throwback, um, there was a top 100 list which just had everybody together, mm -hmm. raw, equipped, single-ply, multi-ply, you know, it was all in. It was just a top 100 list, right? And there was always criticisms of that because it wasn't separated. And I think in the past we've talked about, you know, Bench America and how Joe Mutkite brought together the top lifters from the top 100 lifts. And mm -hmm. the first year it was multiply or it was a double ply meet. And then from there, for some reason, it changed to drug tested single ply. I'm not exactly sure why. And it became almost like a USAPL IPF meet. Right. But that was always that criticism with the Palooza top 100 list because it didn't separate raw, equipped, drug tested, not tested, single ply, multi ply. Um, he kind of went off on a tangent about like, should there be a formula for the top 100 list for differences in rules? Um, you know, he was really just complaining about it. Was an article, it was a page long article complaining about the top 100 list. So, so basically, he uses it's one of the big robbers equipped arguments. That's all it is, which is ironic because he was an equipped guy. He yeah. completed, he competed mostly single ply, hmm. which is I, bullshit, think, so. I think he even competed in the WPO. And I don't know that he used a, a multi ply shirt, but mm -hmm. he competed WPO. He was a big bencher at the time, mm -hmm. pretty smart guy, pretty good lifter. Um, but, you know, kind of your typical old school complaining about the top 100 list article. Imagine that. Interesting interview with Sam Bird, who's a guy I don't know we've talked about, a, a prolific squatter. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's done um, 1107 multiply squat. Um, he's done a 915 squat in wraps. Wow. And he's done a 782 squat raw. Raw, raw. 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 Uh, and I, that's probably raw with sleeves mm -hmm. is that way that open powerlifting does it. And I believe that was at... Eh, I should have wrote that down, but 220, 242. Not that it really matters when it's 1,100 pounds. But, he, but even then, that makes me more impressive, actually. He was not a super heavyweight, I can tell you that. Yeah. He was like an up, upper middleweight right. at, at most. Um, he might have even competed at 198 at times. Jesus. Um, he, I mean, it's interesting because you got Nick Winters, the raw bencher, who was mostly conjugate, mm -hmm. and you have Sam Bird, who was, you know, a lot of times a multiply lifter, right. who followed really more of like a bodybuilder routine. Hmm. Um, interesting. He brought up he he brought up in the interview this raw power fest, which was going to theoretically be this multi-sport event mm -hmm. um, that was going to have a big raw powerlifting meet. They're going to have all kinds of sponsors, and the event was eventually canceled. Mm -hmm. um, and there was the involvement of BMF Sports and Sean Light, hmm. who's not a name that's going to make going to probably resonate with anybody except for me. But it's just interesting that his name came up with this raw power fest. Mm -hmm. um, Sean Light was a guy who contacted me. I look back to my emails because I keep all my emails. Yep. Hoarder. Kind of. Digital hoarder. 
digital hoarder, 100%, and it's for instances like this that I keep it. <laughs> he had contacted me all the way back in 05 about, quote, getting involved with, you know, helping. Get involved. With, with you know, uh, get involved with, you know, promoting, you know, powerlifting meets in Chicago. He was from Chicago. He had this, I guess, supplement company and supposedly sports promotion company. You know, at one point he was going to help me with promotion and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. it never really went any anywhere. He eventually went on to help with 100% raw meats, and it's funny because at the time I was probably more involved with my website, chicagopowerlifting.com, and mm-hmm. updating it. Now, I, you know, I, I don't delete it because I like having as a landing page people looking for meats in the area, and I, I try to keep the meat the meat listing page up to date, although mm-hmm. it's probably out of date currently, but in general, it, you know, a one-stop shop for people to find right. resources about Chicago powerlifting. Um, and I would actually email meat directors to ask them for the meat results. Cause I used to put all the meat results on there. Now I just link the Federation websites. Right. Right. Um, and uh, a meat that he was supposed to run for hundred percent raw. Oh, we had to cancel it. That that. Yeah. It, it just, it, it reminded me of a lot of people back in those mid two thousands when I probably had more time to just bullshit with people online where there was all these people that wanted to get involved and, <laughs> You know, wanted to be a part of things, and sure, yeah. everyone was just a lot of big talk and not a lot of results. Right. And I think through those years of, you know, wasting time with phone calls and conference calls and sometimes even in-person meetings, I don't know that I ever had an in-person meeting with Sean Light. We were supposed to, um, but just wasting time with that kind of stuff where I've just now... That kind of stuff, I what, just... What a waste of time. I Yeah, a total waste. And I'm not saying Sean Light personally is a waste of time, but those type of interactions, just for me at my, this point in my career oh, and yeah, me at promotion, 100% waste of my time. And I don't even bother with emails or interactions like that. Um, I might write a short response if somebody's interested in getting involved and... Most of the time, it's not worth, yeah. not even worth my email You're response. You're not going to get involved. Right, exactly. Um, we had a uh, meet results from the 2007 wow. Illinois State meet. I'll show that to you, Mr. Bain. We've got uh, Mr. Stone himself with Rudy Rudiger. Look at that. And Powerlifting USA. Love um, it. I uh, I actually squat. That was my first 700-pound squat at that meet. I Fuck s- off. I squatted 711. I benched 402. I deadlifted 529. Nice. Totaled 1642. One of my best totals at 181. Um, one of my better meets. I think it yep. was worlds that year that I had my best, best at least total, right? Uh, top total. Um, I think I might have had a better coefficient later at 165, but uh, that was a meet that had, that was at a time when we were still doing the lifter of the year, and mm-hmm. there was a couple pictures of... Uh, it was only recently they stopped doing that, right? Yeah, and that was something I did for a while, and it actually led to, maybe I should bring it back. Um, it, it was something where like it led to more criticism Right. Then, Why did like, this person get it? Yes. And, and that's exactly what it became. It's like, oh, and it was, you know, it'd be posted on Powerlifting Watch. People say, oh, I can't believe that person won. It's like, right, right. nobody else does this. Why are you complaining about something that I'm basically doing, not really out of the goodness of my heart, but just out of the wanting to promote Illinois lifters? Right, right. And it, it seemed like it led to more just criticisms than any props. Well, well this person lives in Indiana, but did a meet in Illinois. Why are they Illinois? Li- I, I used to get that a lot. Oh people my that, God. Like Mike Strom was somebody that people would want to nominate. And Mike Strom, great lifter in oh, his day. phenomenal lifter, yeah. But he lived in Wisconsin. Right. So the whole point of the Illinois Lifter of the Year, Illinois Lifters of the Year series, was to promote lifters from Illinois. Right, right. So. 
anyways, um, there was also a lot of meat results from SLP, Sunlight Power. Mm -hmm. We've talked about that a little bit, but Dr. Daryl Latch was a guy that, I mean, just a lot of gym meat results in here. I mean, a lot of meats where people were in like jeans, t-shirt and shorts. Jesus. In his day, Dr. Latch, you know, Daryl Latch was literally running like a meat per weekend. Wow. And they were truly gym meats because they were mostly in gyms. Yeah. Um, I mean, just a ton of sunlight power meat results in this mid-2000s era. So interesting that he was very big back in this era. Sure. Huge. Uh, we also have the top 100 242s for March 06 to March 07. Your number one squat is Justin Grolf's from, I believe, Big Iron at the time, 1085. Greg Panora with a 1030 squat. Big, at Big Poppy Panora. Yeah. Jay Cox, not a guy I'm super familiar with, but a 1010 squat. Um, C. Simmons, that's not Louis Simmons, a different mm-hmm. Simmons with a 1003. And Dondell Blue, a guy you trained with Brian Carroll and I think has again, but this was back in his uh, WPO days. Not now retired Brian Carroll? Yes, a uh, 1,000-pound squat from Dondell Blue. Nice. Um, I wonder if my boy Carroll's in here. He probably isn't because at that time he might have been more likely to compete at 275. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't see him immediately on the list. I didn't look super closely either. Sure. Um, top on the bench is Rob Leondo, guy from uh, Illinois, mm-hmm. with an 837 squat. Um, Squatter bench. I'm sorry, bench. Yes, I'm All sorry. Good. All good. Yeah, Rob Leondo with an 837 bench. Um, C. Stewart with 804. Jay Jackson with 804. Richie Briggs, 788. Um, uh, another big iron lifter. Uh, Anthony Akome with 771, mm-hmm. another big iron guy. Um, Dondell Blue, 766. So a lot of big, a lot of big benches. There. Yeah, some solid numbers. Um, in fact, gosh, you go all the way down to number 18 with with Jay Hunter, and still at 700. So you know, wow. almost 20 lifters with a 700 plus bench. Um, you had the Ed Cohn at an uh, at an older age, still top of the deadlift with an 810 deadlift. Wow. And, you know, he was definitely in his later years at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, Jay Capello with an 806 deadlift. G. Herring with an 805 deadlift. And the aforementioned Greg Panora with an 800 deadlift. Nice. Greg Panora was top of the total with 2502. Dondell Blue, number two, with 2430. C. Simmons with 2403. Justin Grolf's 2400. So, and Luke Edwards, a guy who we've seen kind of come back. He was competing at 242 at this point with a 22-26 total at number six. So he's a guy who's kind of been all <laughs> up and down um, the weight classes. Sure. Um, you have one Ed Cohn at number 12 hmm. with 2193. So some interesting uh, names on that list in the 242s in the mid-2000s. Yeah. So since you and I and Mr. Bain have been, you know, relatively busy, or at least I've been busy, and you've been traveling and drinking yeah. and, you know, squatting big weights and all that kind of stuff, Sure. we thought we'd do another AUA, and we got some good questions here. Um, I'm going to start with a couple that are not on the list. Okay. Yeah, um, so we, we got a few, like, even, like, late entries Yeah, as we well. got some late entries, so let's go to at Miss Mombod. Um, and this one is probably more for me here. Um, it says... How does it make you feel as a coach when your raw lifters cross over to the dark side of multiply? Ooh. Um, makes me feel pretty good. Yeah. Makes, makes me feel like they're one of us and that they've they've joined us <laughs> on the dark side of equipped. Um, I get really excited when a raw lifter like like Dixie, for instance, mm-hmm. 
crosses over into equipped because I, I mean, we talked about it. We have a whole episode on why I like equipped yeah. lifting, but yeah. I like equipped lifting. I like the, the increased technicality and the variables involved mm-hmm. with equipped lifting. I like teaching somebody new equipped lifting. Um, so I really, I really enjoy that. It's very, you know, gratifying, I guess, for lack of sure. a better term for me to see somebody cross over. And I think if you talk to equipped lifters, they, they almost get like an evil smile yeah. when somebody like you says they're going to cross over from raw. I, I don't think I've ever seen Steve Brock and Sean Coughlin that excited that when I said like, it's not a maybe or a someday, like it's happening. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's something about, it's almost like you're, you're joining like the inner circle of yeah. equipped lifters. One of us, one of us, one of us. Another one from at Miss Mombad, mm-hmm. I guess also for me is what is it like training with a female dominated crew? Um, that's that. And, you know, uh, the crew of us that all follows the same Midwest side programming together would basically be myself, Georgie, not on the gram, Dixie, Stacy, my wife, Jackie, and Jen. I mean, uh, there's other members on the team that yep. also train like Bane alongside us, our high school children, mm-hmm. um, others, but you know, that kind of little crew that all follows Midwest side together. Yeah. It's basically just Georgie and I and yep. the rest females. Um, I guess, again, also good because I have always been somebody that's been maybe more so than others open to having females training with us. Team Stone has always kind of been open to females. In fact, there was a time when it seemed like everybody was bringing their spouse. Sure. Um, Now, there was times when we had very few females, when it was only my wife, Jackie, Mm -hmm. um, or when Jackie was having Jacob, when uh, our first member of 2XL, um, Sally Marcy, you know, she was like the only female training with us. And I always said, it doesn't matter how much you lift. And it's funny because I don't even remember saying this to her, but she's told me since later. I said, I said, it doesn't matter how much you lift. It only matters that if you want to train with us, you have to compete at some point. Right. Which probably wouldn't even be my requirement now. <laughs> but at the time, I was very insistent on that. And she did compete. Yeah. Um, and I think I've always been, you know, very, you know, not to use the, uh, the hyperbolic version of it, but yeah. very inclusive sure. in, you know, any type of lifter, strong, weak, you know, beginner, intermediate, well, advanced relative, lifter. So. Yeah, definitely. But um, I, I'm always happy to train with females. You know, it's funny because there's a popular lifter who recently started his own crew mm-hmm. who specifically said no females. Yeah. I mean, he's married. Obviously, I guess his wife doesn't train with him. I guess. Which, I guess. But, yeah, he said literally they don't allow females in the crew. No no drama. Hmm. Which, interesting. Which is interesting because this particular lifter has been known to – Occasionally have some drama here. No. Never. So um, we'll, we'll move on, and then I'm going to pull up another one that was a late entry on, mm-hmm. on the gram. Yeah. But, but let's start off with. Uh, that was also geared more towards you. Perhaps. Yeah. So let's get one that's maybe a little more general. Yeah. Um, at Georgie, not on the gram, asks, what are the biggest factors keeping beginners lift beginning beginners, mm-hmm. excuse me, from becoming intermediate lifters and intermediate lifters from becoming advanced lifters? Mindset, training consistency, something else. Drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, just, I had to involved with that one. I mean, I guess it depends on what you mean by beginner to intermediate. Um, when you, I think anybody can become an intermediate lifter. I suppose. Um, I think the biggest factor that keeps people from becoming beginners from become from moving from beginners to intermediate lifters is consistency. Yeah. hundred percent. I think it, because, you know, we've talked, and, and I don't mean this negatively for females, but I see, I see it with both, but I see it more with females who it's like a big accomplishment, almost like running a marathon or a 5k or a 
Warrior Dash, whatever. They complete their first meet, and they're super excited. So then mm-hmm. they, they almost immediately sign up for their next meet. And it's after that second, maybe third, their third meet that, yep. you know, the, the gains start to become harder. Mm-hmm. Maybe they have a, a little nagging injury that comes here and there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those female lifters especially, but males as well, they disappear. Um, you have to be able to get past that that stall point, that first time when your progress, you know, maybe goes backwards or, you know, your beginner gains are over and it becomes very difficult. You really have to dial things in to go from your second, third dial meet to, you know, continuing to, to PR for future meets. So that would be to become a beginner to intermediate. It's just consistency and getting past that kind of first mental block. And for me, like what I was thinking about this as well, like what, what is it that is the difference in beginners and intermediates? You're right. It's definitely doing those meets. And I think one of the things that helps with that and helps to, to advance that mindset past uh, to your, you know, the beginner gains all that is, is a crew around you, whatever that crew is going to be, whether it's going to be a, a couple older lifters or even just people that, uh, you know, are your same age, but they are also, you know, trying to get better and trying to push. I think that's something that helps push past those initial beginner gains and takes you to, you know, the next level because then, you know, you're coming together on training days and as corny as it is, you may have that, Hey man, did you see who, what so-and-so did, you know, on, on Instagram or Hey, see what so-and-so did on YouTube. And you know, you're comparing notes and you're starting to talk about training strategies and you're starting to be a little more thoughtful about your training. And that's also when you have a crew or people, even just training partners, that mm-hmm. co- that goes to accountability. Correct. And yes. I think sometimes you see these lifters that I guess lift, that's another factor into that, it. that lift by themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, yeah, they do a couple meets and then it's like, eh, and y- if you don't have anybody to be accountable and you can be accountable to yourself, but I think I even, still think that's a unique thing. Like e- even the best that. person in the world, I think needs some extrinsic accountability sometimes. Right now, when we talk about getting from an intermediate to an advanced lifter, I think at a certain point, talent and genetic, you know, a genetic ability comes and into time. play. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and how far are you willing to push yourself? Like, I don't know. I don't know if I consider myself an advanced lifter. I guess it depends on what you mean by that. I'm sure. definitely not a beginner. Yeah. I'm definitely more. I would say you're advanced technically for sure. Sure. But am I, you know, a top 10 lifter? I get, again, it depends on what you mean by right. advanced. But have you set any world records? I've set some records. I don't know about <laughs> world records. Um, it, it, becoming an advanced lifter in my mind means, you know, being a, a, a top tier lifter. And to get that, it's time. It's a little bit of genetic ability. It's sometimes timing. It's a lot of things. So to get to an to be an advanced lifter, that's a lot more tricky than going from beginner to intermediate. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think the the advance is is an echelon that is a truly advanced lifter. There are people that can hit like elite totals. Honestly, there are people that can hit elite totals as as beginners. They just have a they have a very naturally high uh, talent level. Uh, but I, I believe that the truly advanced lifter is someone who probably has overcome an injury or two, uh, has sure. you know had to deal with you know some life, has maybe bombed out of a meet or two. Uh, I don't say you have to bomb out of meets to you know get yourself advanced, but you know I think that's probably one of the one of the things and one of the things uh, that could contribute to somebody advancing as a lifter. So we've got an, an extra late entry from at Stace Mula mm-hmm. that uh, asks. What are your favorite assistance exercises for each lift? Well, we actually have a whole episode on that. We have talked about this, but we can we yeah. can touch on it again. Um, squat. I'm going to go with uh, box squats and mm-hmm. pause squats are my two favorite. Box squats to teach the squat optimally mm-hmm. 
and I'm going to say pause squats to work on uh, what most people need extra work on is, uh, you know, that, that kind of tightness and mm-hmm. bottom-up strength. Yeah, I would say I, I really do enjoy uh, pause squats, uh, also because they are the, the death of everybody. Everyone just dies when they're doing them. Uh, and honestly, like, sled racks. I just, because it's raising that overall G- GPP. 35 extra workouts per week, I do sled racks <laughs> every morning for 10 minutes. And I would do every six weeks max effort sled racks, but I would not be deload. Right. Um, bench, um, I'm going to go, if I'm just talking assistance exercise and mm-hmm. not necessarily like supplemental or like, you know, extra muscle group work, mm-hmm. um, I probably would go with uh, board presses of various heights mm-hmm. for the bench. Um, hmm. I think probably second is floor press. Okay. Because it, it, it does kind of like the box squat. It teaches that bottom-up strength. You're taking the leg drive out of it. It's something that I think is really in the last couple of years, 18 to 18 months to two years has taken my bench from, you know, what it was mm-hmm. to, you know, close to 500, not quite there. Right. I would say uh, tape press for sure. I, I really do like tape presses. I've seen a lot of progress uh, with those, uh, the high volume tape presses. Uh, so I, I like to do them usually a moderate weight. So, you know, in my case, you know, somewhere between like 30 and 50 pounds, you know, I've got an almost 400 pound bench press. So for those who are trying to, you know, put some numbers to it, um, you know, approximately uh, those numbers. But then I also really enjoy uh, with the earthquake bar or the bamboo bar, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I really, really like doing uh, heavy, heavy volume with those. Uh, and, and because I, I just, I like the the pump of feels. I, I like, I feel like my, my elbows, my shoulders recover a lot better when I'm doing that. Hmm. Uh, and I have noticed significantly better control in my bench uh, while doing uh, high volume and, you know, fairly heavy, you know, 152, you know, almost 200 pounds. Uh, on the earthquake bar. I really, really like those. Deadlift, um, you know, usually my, my favorites there are going to be both platform deadlifts or what the, the poppies call deficit pulls <laughs> and uh, block pulls of two to four inches height. Those are probably my favorites there. Um, you know, again, you're kind of working both ends of the spectrum sure. on, you know, heights of the deadlift. I like that, you know, very not high, but, you know, say uh, uh, an inch to an inch and a half platform deadlifts and then that two to four inch range for block pulls Mm -hmm. seems to be a sweet spot where like you know it's a shorter range of motion but for most people it ends up being harder Mm -hmm. because you take out some of that leg drive the momentum yeah Uh, Uh, i I would just add as well um opposite stance deadlift so especially if you sumo conventional deadlifting especially a little bit less so for conventional but definitely for sumo deadlifters conventional deadlift i think is one of your best Assistance exercises. Sure. I'll tell you what I don't like. It's fucking rack pulls against bands. Um, <laughs> got some, still got some trauma there. Uh, but I, I do I do like pull-throughs. I like anything that really is uh, going to work on the lockout uh, for deadlifts. So I like pull-throughs. I like I do like hip thrusts. I, I like it. Oh, yeah, do you? Yeah, I do, obviously. Um, you know, four to six second hip thrusts. Uh, but, yeah, I really like those. It's anything to 30 work. to 90 seconds. That's a – fuck, how much have I had to drink? <laughs> 15 to 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so anything that's going to work the lockout, but I definitely like a lot of pull-throughs and uh, and uh, and hip thrusts and then anything. Uh, I do, you know, I don't mind uh, rack pulls, uh, sands, bands. I probably won't do that for a very long time. Uh, but I do like having to, to work Or if you do, maybe with, uh, maybe with straps. Uh, probably, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. double overhand Sure, straps, sure, sure. So. <laughs> At Firefighter's Mustache wants to know, 
How do you know when a client is prepared for more advanced programming compared to what they've already done? After the first meet, of course. Some lifters, some lifters are bummed when they aren't doing conjugate after the first meet. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, it. I guess this is probably more for me, but you can chime in as well, Mr. Bain. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess usually it's more on feel. I don't know that I have a certain benchmark, mm-hmm. but... When I change programming for somebody, sometimes it's novelty. Sometimes they've just been doing sure. something for a long time, and mm-hmm. it's like they just need to change a pace. Um, if somebody's new, and when I say new, I would say two years of training or less. Yep. Like if you've been training for two years or less, to me, you're still pretty much going to be on a pretty standard five-by-five. Five. Yeah. Meat prep is going to be percentage-based with moderate loads. Um like once you've really established your movement patterns and you've done a number of meets and then it's like, okay, now you've started to maybe hit some plateaus. Yep. Now it's time to change to, you know, I've got a couple of different variations of things I do. I, I use some 1020 life stuff. That's mm-hmm. usually what I start people with. I have some five, three, one variations for people that need a, you know, more of a high rep change of pace. Um, and then some of us have been doing, you know, more conjugate based stuff. Um, that's definitely more advanced lifters, I think it probably works, as Daniel Tina Harrow says, it probably works a little bit better for equipped lifters, not that you can't adapt it for raw lifters. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's normally like when somebody's at a sticking point, or maybe a plateau point is a better way of putting that, and that's when I would change something in their training. I mean, sometimes people's goals change. Sometimes people's – it's sometimes even personality. Like, yeah. I know that seems odd, but, like, I program people in a way that – fits the type of personality I know they have. Like I know some people like they just need a certain number on the piece of paper to do. And so percentages make more sense for them because they just, they just want to go to the gym and like just turn off their brain and just do whatever's on the sheet of paper versus some people do want to go more by feel with more of an RPE versus some people like, I know they're going to fucking max out anyways. Right. So I might as well put them on some type of conjugate program because at least that allows them to max out and still, fit within the confines of the programming. Mm-hmm. So personality is going to go into it well. But when somebody's been training for two years or less, they're just going to get practicing the big three until they've completely mastered the form on those. You don't get any fancy bands or chains or <laughs> variations or specialty bars. Like you get a regular bar in your hands and you get to yep. do a lot of five sets of five. It's bar 45 pounds? No. <laughs> so, so I just to add to that, I think that's, Really where you would start, and this does come from competing a lot, where I would start looking to conjugate the training is going to be around when, you know, the meat results start to become pretty consistent. Like, hey, if you're, as a, for instance, you know, three, four, five meets in a row, you're totaling, you know, 1520, 1525, 1518, 15, you know, 1530, you're kind of just, you know, hitting that plateau and it's a few meets in a row. That's when you need to start looking, okay, what are some of these weak points and how do we start working these in different uh, ways? Because you've kind of... Not maxed out your natural strength, but you know you you definitely you've hit those beginner gains, right? And well, and plus, when you start, you don't have weak points; you're just weak, right? Exactly. So it's only after you've done a few meets. You're all weak. It's how it started. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, At trainer Stan wants to know how is life without Swedish fish? It fucking sucks, Stan. I guess that's for Mister Bain. Yeah. Why is life without Swedish fish? So I don't eat Swedish fish now. That's part of my nutrition plan that Stan has me on. And for those who don't know, I did employ uh, our buddy uh, Stan from the Everybody Sucks podcast. 
uh, and to help me with my nutrition because I was not enjoying necessarily walking around at 275. I didn't like having filled out that weight class. Uh, so you know, he's been helping me out with that. I've been uh, steadily losing weight. I'm down to the low 260s now. I'd like to be right around 255 to 258 for the Raw Challenge. Uh, and and I how like does uh, Johnny Walker Blue fit into that nutrition plan? <laughs> it doesn't usually. Mr. Mr. <laughs> at Trainer Stan. It doesn't. He he's, he's Yeah, he doesn't like that. I drink, so. Doesn't mind when I smoke, but doesn't like when I drink, so. Mm, sure, sure, sure. Yep. Oh, okay, we'll move on then. Uh, well, unless you want to talk about Swedish fish, we don't think. I, well, I think we got a question on that later, so I'll talk on that one later. <laughs> um, at Deathwish Barbell wants to know, at Bane316, why are you so fine? Uh, superior genetics, sir. Chose your parents well? Uh, yeah, basically. So. Okay, sure, sure, <laughs> sure. At 4chan for life would like to know, mm-hmm. we can agree this sport has a largely physical component. Except but for gear lifting, the gears all work. But is the mental component of this sport marginalized? It's an interesting question. Marginalized is an interesting choice of word. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that it's marginalized, but maybe it's de-emphasized more than it should be. My only caveat with that is that, like, there's a lot of, and I, I guess it depends on what you mean by mental component. Right, like because, what part of it? Because there's a lot of stupid people that are really strong. Yeah. But I guess if we're thinking about just the psychological component, sometimes being stupid mm-hmm. or non-intelligent, like we talked about it with Anthony Oliveira in the episode where it's like mm-hmm. somebody he trained with, like they they almost like, like it's like they they grabbed the 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 apple from the tree of knowledge. Right. And all of a sudden they realized they were naked. You know, they realized that yeah. like. They were hitting numbers that they almost shouldn't have been hitting, and it fucked with their mind. Yes. So sometimes those stupid people are better off because, you know, they don't ignorance even— Ignorance is bliss. Ignorance sometimes is bliss. You're 100% right. And there's—we've talked about it. There's a certain audacity of—especially with geared lifting. Oh, it's yeah. It's like you're putting hundreds of pounds on your back and in your hands mm-hmm. that you could not have handled otherwise, and you have to have that, you know, lack of fear mindset— a hundred percent. And right. you'll learn that soon, Mr. Maine, when you put some gear on next yep. year. Yep. Um, you know, it is a, it is a mindset where you cannot be afraid of the weight Yeah. and, uh, you respect it, but you cannot be afraid of it. Sure. And you have to be ready for it, but yeah, you can't think about, Oh my gosh, I'm squatting a hundred pounds I've, over what I could. Yeah, I've got a thousand pounds on my back. Holy shit. Right. And our, our teammate Dixie, who asked one of the questions earlier in the mm-hmm. day, she's a great example of somebody who like you all like I have to rein her back, which I, I guess I would prefer to some degree, but like yeah. she is pump, pump the brakes or just push her forward. Right. You know, it's almost like you'd rather have the person that you have to rein back rather than the person who is afraid of the weight. Yep. It's like, hey, you have to put something on there when you're going in gear. Like she's not afraid of putting weight on the bar mm-hmm. in gear. She I mean she fucking wants to put it on there, which I like. Yeah. Um, and it's that certain mental capacity where it's like you, you can't be afraid of it. Yeah. So I think that aspect of it might be de-emphasized more than it should be. Um, but I don't know that it necessarily takes a, a large level of intelligence to, you know, lift heavy weights per se. There's some strategy in there, too, because you think about there's also a mental aspect of, you know, how you plan your attempts. And then once, you know, you're getting all, once you get to deadlifts, you know, how are you planning those and how are you taking those? How are you changing? Are you changing? I, I think most that that just goes over most lifters' heads. It, it totally they, does. They just I go believe. in and hit PRs. They don't yeah. give a shit about any of that. Yeah. But that's where that's where the sport element of it is, uh, is I think, lost on some lifters. Sure, sure. So that's, at, I'll, I'll take this one. Oh, this sure, directly sure. for you. Uh, at Stace Mula at 2XL Powerlifting, 
When and what full power meet will you be doing next? Who Stace Mula calling me out? Calling you right the fuck out. Um, you know it's interesting. I've been thinking about this because my stated goal on the board was to bench 500 mm-hmm. this year, and obviously, you know, 2020 has not been a year that has yeah. been, we'll say, ideal for anything. High key, fuck 2020. Seriously. So that was my goal was this year to to ideally bench 500. You know, compete at nationals and then ideally go to Ireland, compete at worlds and bench yep. 500. And then it's like, all right, I've achieved kind of a lifelong goal of benching 500 yeah. and then, okay, move back into full meets, which I haven't done for the last couple of years. Right. So I'm, I'm torn now. Should I, should I continue to push through and focus more on my bench and hit that 500 bench and then switch back to full meets? Or should I say, all right, you know, I, I put some emphasis on that. I had a big PR. I mean, I, I increased, you know, for, for some of this competing as long as I have, you know, hitting a 25 pound PR. That's you know, that's, signif- that, that's significant Bigly. when you've been competing as long as I have been. So is it time to move back into full meets and give that challenge, you know, a good two, three-year run again and then right. come back to bench only maybe after, you know, focusing? And now, even when I've competed bench only, you know, Stacy and everybody who here knows, I always still train squats and deadlifts. Right. Maybe not with the same volume and veracity as when I'm training bench for a bench only meet. So it's an interesting question. I don't know if I have an answer, Stace. Um I'm still contemplating it. Part of it is that uh, I think both my wife and I would like to go to AAPF Nationals mm-hmm. in uh, Tennessee next year. And sometimes it's not always ideal if both she and I are training for the same meet at the same time. Sure. Now, if I'm only training for bench only, that's not so bad. So I guess should I do that meet and do it you know, bench only or should I do it full power? Should maybe I push back for another meet and do a full power? I don't know. It's a good question. One I've been struggling with. And that you basically didn't answer. Yeah, I don't have a good answer <laughs> because I've, I'm, I'm debating on whether I should make my next, my 2021 goal, continuing to focus on a 500 bench or jump back into full power. Yeah. When are you going to dial it in, man? Yeah, I'm trying to dial it in, player. Unfortunately, <laughs> you know, uh, Rona threw me a curveball this year. Yeah, I definitely cut the cord on, on the phone there. So I'll ask this one since it goes. I actually technically it goes, be both of us. Technically goes to both of us, but more of you. At powerlifting twin one underscore, mm-hmm. what's it like being a retired soccer player? Uh, I mean, I can give you the a couple answers on that. It's great. Nobody cares about soccer. Wrong. Did you have anybody come up to you at the meeting? Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that. And, and say, nobody cares about soccer. No, not not that. But oh, I did okay. have people come up to me and just look me right in the eye and say, wrong. And then a couple of people just, like, just walked away afterwards. So I don't think I dared to do it or what, but it was pretty that's, funny. That's pretty funny, actually. Yeah, a few people recognized me from the podcast, did get in the, hey, I recognize your voice. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get that. Uh, face for radio. Yeah, your face is pretty ugly, but yeah. I recognize your voice. Yeah, 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 yeah whatever. Uh, you know yeah. what I you know what I used to get Bane is What's when that? people would meet me after I was a big forum poster back in the yeah, day, yeah. and people would meet me and they say, "Oh, you're you're a lot smaller than I thought, and you're a lot younger too." So yeah, yeah, you've mentioned that on the podcast. So it was interesting. People were asking like, "How tall is Eric?" And I'm like, "Eric's like six three, man." <laughs> <laughs> like, like, are you standing on like how? Whenever we see pictures of you, like, you look so much bigger than he is. I'm like, well, I'm wider, yeah. Like, I'm way wider than Eric is. But now he's like 6'3". <laughs> so now they're going to meet me and they're going to be like, wait, are no, you? No, no, I, I correct. They're like, nah, whoa, like, you're Eric Stone? No, nah, he's like 5'4". 5'5". So. Um, five, five. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, that's adorable. So being a retired soccer player is, uh, it's it's fine. Um, I, I, 
I miss certain aspects of the pitch, but there's a lot of things I do not miss. I do not miss running. I I don't miss like I like the way my body hurts after a hard training session. I don't miss the idea that, like there were days I legitimately could not walk. Like I could not put pressure on my joints uh, when I was running around playing soccer at two twenty, two thirty. I don't miss that. Uh, but I, you know, I have a lot of great memories from soccer. Uh, you know, one of my, one of the toughest ones ever was the last time I pulled off a jersey in a competitive game because I knew, I knew that was it, and that, you know that was hard. It sucked. Because um, yeah. you don't always know when that last game yeah. is going to be. Yeah, like I mean, I really didn't know what, what would happen after college. You know that I would play, but like when I, I mean, I tore my hamstring on my on the last play of my college career and howled off the field. We lost in the. Uh, conference tournament, and I pulled off. I left that jersey on for a long time. I did not want to pull that off because hmm. uh, that, that to me was kind of finalizing and closing a chapter of my life, and I really didn't want to do that. But uh, you know, I was able to still keep playing afterwards, and that was great. And uh, but yeah, so it's it's it is really fun to then to tell people because I mean, obviously Eric, you see me all the time. I'm not a small human uh, that I used to play soccer because I am not what people picture when they think of soccer player. No. And I, I enjoy that a lot, so I do I do like that. Yeah, I'm also a retired, retired soccer player, although I only played in soccer. Middle school. <laughs> I only played soccer up there in middle school and yeah. then switched to football, uh, football, football, Americano. Americano, si. Yeah, so I was, just, I was a soccer-style kicker. So, yeah, the um, superior I liked, style. You know, I actually liked playing soccer. Um, I probably enjoyed playing soccer more, but mm-hmm. I liked football better, so I just switched to football. There you go. So. Telling you, it's, it's going to be a one-on-one someday, me and Eric. It's going to happen. Hmm. I'll let free, you ask this one. Free, free kicks. No, no, no like actual one-on-one. Uh, so at <laughs> dialed in 69, what training-related questions do you wish people asked more, but also what training-related questions do you wish people stopped asking? Uh, it's an interesting question because I don't know. Like I... I usually like it when people ask questions. So I guess the questions I wish people would ask more is like ask the question because I know you have one. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. when I when I when I write somebody a training program, like I know there's things on. Like I don't purposely put things on there that I know people won't know. Right. But, but I, it's almost impossible that what is in my brain and I put on a piece of paper is going to be a hundred percent understood by you. It's that whole you know, communication one-on-one encoding, decoding, like what I mean is maybe different than what you think I mean and what I write on the piece of paper. Sure. So I guess as far as like questions, I wish people just ask more what I mean by what I put down Mm -hmm. for programming. Um, What what do you mean by 60% of my max? (laughs) (laughs) That I don't wish anybody asked me about. (laughs) Um, And what training related questions do I wish people stopped asking? Ah, that's a good one because I'm usually pretty I'm usually pretty fine. Can I max out today? Yeah, that might be the one. Is like, when can I max out? And it's like, how about at the meet? At the fucking meet. How about at the meet? Because that's when it fucking matters. Right. So that's probably the only question I really... And, and I, I'm actually okay getting it. I just... I don't like it. Yeah. I don't like when people do it. So I'm usually pretty good with questions. Um, I don't... I, and I like training questions. What I don't mm. like is stupid meat questions and emails. And I like, <laughs> I'm fine answering questions about meats. That's part of my job as a meat director. Specifically like, the Lombard meats. Yeah, when you send me, and I should almost post a screenshot of this and just X out the person's email, but I literally got an email. It had no subject body. It was only, or no body to the, mm-hmm. to the email. It only had a subject and it said, any updates on the Lombard meat? You need to report. It's like, we reference it probably 
every other episode, you you've got to you got to post it at some point. And it's like, <laughs> and I don't mean this to be smart, but like, which Lombard meet? Like, we have a lot of meets coming up, and like, we what? have like seven meets left and like, this year. What do you mean by update? What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> so those are the questions I don't like. It's just like, are there any spots left? Like, spot left for what? Hashtag three spots left. <laughs> it's funny because I literally had three spots left. I know. I, I just couldn't help myself with that. And that, that the, the Raw Power Challenge is sold out on Saturday. Those three spots got filled pretty quickly. And when the spectator th- stuff opens, y'all better get tickets because guess who's going to be lifting that day? Bane. At Bane316. Uh, at Reno. Or it's, how do you say that? Renjo. At Renjo. How many world records, Bane? Literally all of the world records. Okay. There were seriously so many world records at Atlantic City Record Breakers. Okay. Mr. Ban, you can take the next one. <laughs> I, I like this one a lot from at Midwest Harley 01. What is the best way to train around a surgical recovery while optimizing nutrition for healing? So I, I can speak a little bit to this as I've had to literally just go through this process. Uh, biggest thing that I have found while training around any surgical recovery is Isolate the where the injury or where, where the surgical site is. So in my case, it was uh, you know basically my left elbow. As long as I didn't have to move that, I could figure out movement other places. If you say it's your shoulder, say it's your wrist, it's your knee. If you can isolate that joint so it's not moving, you know that's kind of the first step. Unilateral uh, movements. So whether it's going to be you know bench pressing single dumbbells with my right arm or uh, you know, hitting the other hemisphere of your body. So lots of specialty bar squats. You know, I couldn't necessarily get under a straight bar. So I was using the spider bar, using the safety squat bar. Uh, once I was able to the cambered bar. Uh, those things I think are crucial to uh, minimizing atrophy. And then once you're back to being able to utilize the, the limb, uh, you know, picking things back up very, very quickly. Uh, and then from the nutritional aspect, it seems common sense to me, but I realized after having to employ somebody to help me with my nutrition, it's not so common sense. As best you can, eat single ingredient foods. And there is so much extra stuff that is put into so much of our uh, our diets. And I think we, generally speaking, there is still a faction of powerlifters. I definitely have been one of them. Uh, or you're just a fat, happy powerlifter, right? Seafood diet, see it, eat it. And so it's keeping things very, very simple, you know, Single ingredient foods, I think that is going to be uh, crucial to that. I highly recommend just taking a very hard look at your at your nutrition, uh, tracking that, and being brutally honest with yourself. Don't necessarily worry about during the initial tracking phase what that uh, you know what you're putting in. Just make sure you do it because then you look at a holistic view and you see, okay, yeah, I really am eating you know five or six thousand calories a day, and maybe I only really need about thirty two hundred. Any supplements you took during your recovery, Mister Bain? So the big ones that I took were uh, test, D- test VAR and D-Ball. Yeah, that's what everybody assumes. HGH. I, I actually got asked a lot of questions about that uh, over the last few weeks because, uh, you know, to be fair, yes, my recovery has been very fast, uh, very much on the front end. And so I think that's a fair question for people to ask me. No, I didn't take anything uh, like that. I did uh, take collagen peptides from Vital Proteins, uh, BCAAs from Universal Nutrition. Which are basically steroids, right? Sure, right. Why not? Uh, creatine. Also steroid. Yeah, very much so. Uh, turmeric to help with inflammation. Steroid. Yes. Uh, ate a lot of red meat. Huge steroids there. <laughs> that, that was, that was really it. Um, and I, and I just made sure that I was 
Every single day, I was getting roughly a gram and a half of protein per pound of body weight, which is a lot. I'm not so a, for you, it's like four or 500 grams of protein? It's about 400 grams, yeah. It's a lot of fucking protein. Yeah, no not, no doubt. Yeah. Not uh, being facetious. No, not at all. And But that that is one of the things that helps fuel. And the other thing, too, is when you're looking at when you have surgery, more often than not, it's 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 planned in some way, shape, or form. Even if you have a freak incident, um, you know, you're going and they're going to plan that surgery in the next few hours, right? Treat your recovery like a full-time job. And, and I'm going to say that again. Treat your recovery like a full-time job. If that, that, I think, is the reason why I came back so fast was I looked at every avenue, and, and you can you know ask a lot of the people that I did. I, I spoke to Eric Morosier. I spoke to Matt Nyman. I spoke to Dr. Fred Clare. I spoke to a number of people that Anthony uh, Oliveria introduced me to uh, you know, at Big Jake Lifts, uh, at Hulk Arms, a guy over the uh, compounds who just uh, had a similar incident. Talked to a lot of these people about what – they did as they recovered and how they recovered fast. And uh, that was huge by getting that insight. Like, you know, my doctor told me, hey, don't use your left arm for, you know, four to six weeks after the surgery. Whereas I'm talking to Matt Nyman, he's like, dude, once you have the cast off, because they know you're going to try to do something stupid, then, you know, start carrying in light groceries, carry in the bread and, you know, what else with that left arm and start getting used to gripping things again. And again, using that same thought process of you know isolation, I have I have grippers at home, uh, you know, to to crush with. And then I also got the hand extensors to start working the other side of my arm. And th- those are some of the things that helped with me, and I feel will help others too. Uh, you know, being brutally honest with yourself, and then sticking to those very uh, you know simple things of unilateral motion, working the other hemisphere of your body, uh, and then you know single ingredient foods. How is your supination with that uh, injured arm? Generally speaking, it's very good. I can supinate all the way. Uh, How is know, it compared over. to your, your other hand? So if you're looking at this, I mean, we can you know put a picture up, but they're essentially even. It's a few degrees difference on the left one. Yeah, it's still a little bit off. I mean, but to be fair, you're only how many months out of recovery? Uh, five months in a week. And also, to be fair, it might never be exactly the same Correct. as the other one. Correct. I mean, just, just based on the way that they probably surgically yanked that tendon in there so it doesn't... Yep pull out again and anyway and i've shown you this i know whole you don't thing know anything where, about pulling out yeah i know nothing about that um which you know doctor said hey it's in there nice and tight so you're good to go <laughs> that's what she said uh, well, that's what well it was a he but anyway we'll move on from that <laughs> at aggie 09 tx if you had to quit powerlifting and take up another strength sport would you choose strongman highland games weightlifting arm wrestling crossfit or some variety of bodybuilding and why for me, it's easy. It would be weightlifting mm-hmm. because it's still a barbell sport. It's pretty similar. You still get three attempts. It's, mm-hmm. you know, the same basic premise. Sure. You know, there's difference in rules, and it's obviously different exercise. But um, strongman, to be honest, I'm just too short and too small. Sure. Like, you, like you're probably at someone, you're too short, but at least you're the right size. Right. Um, Highland, Games, Highland Games is basically strongman Scottish. Which I desperately want to do. I, I mean, I, I, I enjoy it. I yeah. think it's cool, but I, I, I couldn't do it. Um, I don't even know that I consider arm wrestling a strength sport, but again, I'm too small and just no desire. Yeah. Um, CrossFit, there's just too much cardio. Yeah. Cardi, <laughs> and, no. And bodybuilding, there's too much dieting. Yeah. So yeah, I like food too much for that. Uh, yeah. I just, I don't, people are very angry when they have to diet for bodybuilding. I appreciate bodybuilding. Oh, the discipline is incredible. I appreciate the discipline that they have, but yeah, if, if I had to switch strength sports, it would probably be weightlifting um, or... I'm trying to think of another sport. 
or I would just come up with my own sport. Yeah. You know? well, I would, you, hey, you don't like a rule? Make your own federation. Yeah. Um, I would just come up with like a, you know, if I couldn't bench anymore, I'd come up with like a squat overhead press deadlift federation or something. There you go. I, I would do Highland Games. I, I really, I really, really like Highland Games. I think they're really cool. I would love to do a Highland Games sometime. Uh, plus, I just like wearing my kilt. So. Sure. At Millican Jacks, mm-hmm. if you're going to do cardio, what kind of cardio is best? Sex. Let's <laughs> <laughs> call it what it is, kids. Like uh, a serious answer. Um, uh, I honestly, sled drags for me. Yeah. So I, I've done a lot of different types of cardio in my powerlifting career, so I think I can speak on this pretty intelligently. I've done everything mm-hmm. from walking to the treadmill to sled drags to interval cardio to. Mm-hmm. High intensity interval training type of stuff. Oof. Um, I think the best for for power lifters is mm-hmm. what I'm going to say is some type of conditioning um, at the end of your regular workouts. So some type of thing that raises your heart rate and some like lighter strongman things. Mm-hmm. You know, like sled drags, like even yoke walks, like farmers walks, or mm-hmm. various types of carries. Also enjoy those a lot. Yeah, various types of carries are, are very good, even if it's not farmer's walks, even if it's suitcase carries, bottom-up carries, mm-hmm. you know, other kinds of kettlebell carries. Um, Wife carries just over the shoulder. Yeah. Well. yeah. Uh, you know, things for time, like you could pick any exercise for time, mm-hmm. um, or things like, you know, piston squats or uh, kettlebell swings are great for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. If you're talking just pure separated, you know, extra workouts, cardio, <laughs> I think sled drags do ironically work pretty well. And I think just simple walking outside or walking in the treadmill. Yeah. I have found that with powerlifting, you're kind of need to be on both ends of the spectrum. Like, you know, with your training for strength, you're going to be in that really heavyweight, low rep range. Mm-hmm. So I think when you're in that midpoint area, when you're doing like, high intensity interval cardio or even just regular interval cardio with the exception of maybe something like an elliptical that doesn't stress the joints, but Mm -hmm. any kind of cardio that really stresses your joints, like running, for instance, I just think for the average power lifter, it's going to inhibit your recovery too much. So Um, you're saying it's wrong. And and I've, I've done various types of things and I've just found that Walking at an incline because you don't go do a full extension, mm-hmm. and sled drags are probably the best and the easiest for most power lifters. Like, drag a sled for ten to fifteen minutes, walk for a mile three times a week. Yep. And if you need more than that, jump on an airdyne and do some. Uh, do some sprints. So do to speak. Some, yeah, do some ten second, fifty second sprints, which I've done before. So, uh, go ahead and take the next uh, one, Mr. Bain. I like this one. At caffeinated lumberjack, any opinions on deadlift conventional? While equipped, suit preferences for deadlifting as well. Um, you know, you don't get as much with conventional. Um, it depends on if we're talking single ply or multi ply. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're uh, multi ply, I think for a lot of conventional deadlifters, just some looser briefs with mm-hmm. no straps could be a good one. Not like your gangster dot like predator briefs. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that they're like you know, you know, we're getting rid of them now. They're canceled. Yeah, but the old metal deadlift suits supposedly were and I don't deadlift just put a set of orange duct tape across the front you'll be yeah. fine I don't compete conventional and when I have competed once conventional it was raw so I don't ew I don't know that I have uh, a strong opinion on it but I've been told from others that the metal deadlift suits were the best for conventional mm-hmm. um, be a good Dave Kershaw question yeah it would be maybe that'll be in the multiply bible you know good conventional deadlift C- suits cannot confirm more than I yeah, uh, you know, it's it's one of the things where you just probably have to experiment for you. And to be honest with you, depending on how big of a guy you are, you might honestly be better off raw. 
Yeah, and, and, and like to be like in the suit, just a single plugging. I had trouble getting out of the bar. Yeah, it, it is difficult to get down to the bar with conventional. It might just throw you at a position. That's why I said maybe just a loose pair of briefs to give mm-hmm. you a little bit of pop and support in the hips. Yep. Um, if you usually deadlift raw conventional, you might, and, and maybe you've only tried sumo a few times, you, you might just want to try sumo. And I, some people, sumo is just not going to work. But if you're going to equipped, you might actually find that that extra pop from the suit you know, allows you to do more in the suit sumo than you can raw conventional sumo which i mean the entire point of the sport is to lift as much weight as possible so cheating Accurate. cheating is optimal exactly if you ain't cheating you ain't trying right At, uh, this this one honestly could be a whole episode on its own i think what's that matt's question here oh okay at matt brooks 95 mm-hmm. what's more specific to training for powerlifting maxing out on a variation of the big three or performing reps with comp movements at lower intensity i.e conjugate versus linear mm-hmm um, I, I guess the short answer is it depends. It depends on the person. It depends on raw or equipped. Mm-hmm. It depends on where they are at their training. I mean, we kind of already talked about this earlier. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think Daniel Tinajero's answer is probably a, a a pretty good one. Conjugate maybe trends towards working better for equipped, and you know, linear maybe trends towards working better for raw. Um, but I, I, I think it depends on a lot of things. It depends on, like I said how long the person's been training, their personality, yeah. mm-hmm. at what access to what equipment do they have? Do they train with a crew? Mm-hmm. Do they train by themselves? So there's a lot Are of questions. Qu- yeah, I mean, if you're training at Westside, you're going to get the strongest by following the group and mm-hmm. training Westside. Like, mm-hmm. you wouldn't go at Westside and do, you know, SBD three times a week. Um, but if you train by yourself and you only have access to an ER rack and a 45-pound bar, yeah. you know, even then I don't know that training SBD three <laughs> times a week is optimal in the long term. But, uh, but hey, what do we know? You know, I guess what's more specific is for powerlifting is what, in the end, gets you stronger and puts more weight on the bar on the platform. Mm-hmm. So it might be either one, depending on a lot of different factors. Sure, sure. So <laughs> I enjoy this one a lot. And I want to make sure I say your name right, Austin. Uh, I'm assuming it's Koch. So that's what I'm going to go with. Cook. Cook? Okay. Sorry, Austin. Uh, why do I get more out of my Centurion than I do my campus? And this is at Austin Cook underscore. Yes. And I was actually going to say his name wrong at a Austin Koch mm. underscore. Gotcha. Thoughts on single ply. And do you cringe when you see single ply guys walk out of the mono? Um, if you get more out of your Centurion than your canvas, then you're just not using your canvas well. Mm. And these questions are probably all more tongue in cheek. Uh, I believe so. Single ply is bullshit. <laughs> and whenever I see anybody walk out of a monolift, it makes me cringe. Yeah. Single ply, raw, or anything. Yeah. Basically, just, I mean, that's why the model's there. Literally why it's there. At Jackaroni and Cheese, what baked goods are best for bench workouts? Hmm, interesting question, Jackaroni and Cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say for bench, you could probably go with the heavier, you know, baked goods, like a brownie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and should we talk, we, we could talk about that. Um, are you a middle brownie person or an edge brownie person? This was on my Facebook feed I last eat the week. whole pan. If you touch my brownies, I'll break your fucking okay, fingers. Okay, uh, understood, fatty. <laughs> is that in your at trainer stand nutrition plan? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> if you had a preference, edge or middle, what would you prefer? I'm going to go the definitely not the corners. That's too much. Corners are bullshit. Ba- yeah, that's too much baked edge. But I I do like the middle edge brownies. The middle edge, okay. I yeah. like the middle in general because usually they're they're ninth, right? I like the middle edge. Okay, I like the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that kind of your heavier baked goods are better for benching sure. because you can use the benching belly mm-hmm. versus if you're like built into s- 
versus like if you're deadlifting, you probably may want to go more with like a cookie because mm. you got to get down to the bar. For Swedish fish personally, but not baked. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Sure, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, at Stay C, <laughs> lifter you enjoy watching compete, not a family member or teammate. This, this one was tough. Like this one was really hard for me to uh, – because – I've been teammates with a decent amount of people. They are who I really like to to watch. Uh, I'll be honest; it's probably either Bob Merck, uh, Jeannie Nutter, or Danielson Harrow. Okay, interesting. Yeah, um, I always enjoy watching people whose technique is very you superior. Know, it is very you know, like looks efficient. Mm-hmm. So I, you know. I like watching Dave Hoff because he's so it almost like a fucking machine. effortless with his lifting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I enjoy watching him compete. Mm-hmm. Um, a lifter whom I hope to, to speak to soon. Yes. At Leah Reichman. Reichman. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like I just enjoy watching her technique. She and does the way a that, very very good technique. And the way that she like just moves because I'm a kind of a movement analysis person. Mm-hmm. So people like that I enjoy watching. Those mm-hmm. are the two that come you know fresh to my mind mm-hmm. um i'm sure there's others but yeah that's a that's a tough question but uh yeah it's tough when, especially when you exclude you know teammates and family members right because like i mean obviously you would have said me and i would have said you so right yeah. well yeah i do have a wife that competes remember yeah and even a son and you still would have said me so right, right, right and i still right. would have said you i've got a daughter who competes sure 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 <laughs> <laughs> no eric would not have said me and i would not have said him but anyway at 2001 franz briefs Along the lines of smelling salts and slaps, what is the strangest thing you've seen someone do before a lift? Oh, this is an easy one. Easy uh, peasy. Dyke Naughton uh, from New York. Um, I'm surprised that he might have even been at that meet. I wonder if he yeah, was, possibly, yeah. I wonder if he's hanging around there. Um, he used to do lemon juice and uh, batteries. The Oh, there was a lady who was doing lemons, like sticking lemons in her mouth like a mouth guard at Nationals this year. Hmm. Uh, gosh, who was that? Um, that, and then I used to see... Uh, Put Houston mm-hmm. take a tampon dipped in ammonia and stick it up his nose. Mm. Um, I'll, I'll give you one more. Uh, Irv Demansky, former teammate of mine, who Come owns, on, Irv. Who owns uh, Progressive Sports Performance, used to have his wife slap the living shit. I've seen videos that she like, like full wind up, like lapped the slapped the living shit out of his mm-hmm. face prior to him going up. Like, I mean, not just one, but like multiple slaps. Um, I think it actually was on the Westside versus the World intro, like the multiple slaps. Like I don't think that was him. That oh, was okay. That might have been that might have been Mendelssohn. Same same technique though for sure. Yes, yes, similar to Mendelssohn's wife and Mendelssohn. Yeah. Um, I mean, the weirdest thing I've ever seen is uh, peeing in your drinking bottle and drinking it running back through. Unconfirmed. Okay. Yeah. Unconfirmed. But that's not before you lift though. That's just it that's was just, during the lifts. That's just during the lift. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, as far as the the, the run up to the yeah. Um, well, we've we've talked about uh, the lifter that sounds like the choo choo train. Yes. Who just it, and, if, and if you were the can am, like it was like he was coming from behind the the curtain. It was so, almost like a wrestling entrance. Yeah, it was. It was it was awesome. At Rich East Rockets Forever. Oh, that's adorable. What is your biggest rookie mistake? Or my, what was your biggest rookie mistake? Mine's easy. I forgot a fucking single to my first meet. That's that's a pretty good one. <laughs> um, I wore gloves to my first meet, not realizing that they weren't legal. That's yes. amazing. Yeah, and Mike Sweeney told me, um, those aren't legal, sir. So I threw those in the garbage. Nice. No one told me. Yeah. I was no, dumb. Nobody, we all make stupid told, mistakes. Nobody told me. At Thick Thighs Save Lives, 
Do you think foam rollers are overused when lifters are sore slash tight? I think foam rollers are overused in general. I think in the last 10 years that we've gone from like lifters when I started did like literally no warm up, which right. I also don't think is optimal to like there was a time maybe five or 10 years ago when lifters were spending like 45 minutes rolling around on a foam roller and lacrosse ball and yeah. and rolling out like every every you know, inch of their body, every inch of their body. And like if your warm up takes longer than about 10 or 15 minutes, you're probably either doing too much or bullshitting too much. Yeah. And I'm talking your actual warm up. Um, no, I, I, one of the, actually, if a lifter comes to me and they have aches and pains, usually the first thing I look at mm -hmm. is what is their warm up if they have any, and if they don't have one, typically a simple warm up of a few things, maybe taking 10 minutes mm -hmm. could, you know, shore up any of those aches and pains when they lift, sure. you know, something similar, like some hip circle sideways walks, some McGill three core work, mm -hmm. um, and one or two mobility drills, and then taking the empty bar on squats and bench for a minimum of two sets of 10. Sure. Just those right there could solve a lot of people's aches and pains. Um, I think foam rollers can be used occasionally, but in general, I think uh, their best use is laying on them to stretch out the shoulders yeah. and laying across them to stretch out the T-spine and then putting them under your ankles when rolling out your calves yes. with a body tempering device. Which, by the way, hurts like a bitch. At, at Wisconsin Cheeseheads. I like this one a lot. Which superhero would make the best full powerlifter? Raw or equipped? Uh, I mean, mean, Natty or? Well, there are, none of them are Natty because they're all superheroes. I uh, mean, I mean, Th Thor's Natty. I mean, he happens to be a god, but is that Natty? It's just pure. I, th I mean, I, I think you're blessed with those abilities. I think the answer is the Hulk. Obviously, you just have to get him angry first. And Stu McGill says you should always be lifting angry. Well, I don't know, man. If you're looking at equipped, I think Iron Man's the guy. Oh, but you can't use your super. <laughs> that you, super suit is not IPF approved. The suit is, I, the suit the is not IPF approved. Fuck the IPF. Fuck the USAPL. Fuck the IPF. I'm afraid I think Hulk is the right answer. I would more than likely say yes. But again, if you had the different divisions, I mean, hey, police and fire, you know, cool. We can have, you know, Captain Cop and then, you know, Raw, raw Nat, or not Raw Natty, but, you know, Raw Wesley's Captain America, a la John Hack. Sure, sure, sure. Um, Go ahead. You can take this one, Mr. Bain. That way was Compapas. If you could ban one song from ever being played again, what would it be? The game. What is the game? Uh, was it Motorhead? Oh, Triple H's entrance yep, music? Yep. Really? I, just, I, I like the song. I, I hear it at most meets four to five fucking times. Oh, I'm okay. just like, um, no. Eric, what about you? Uh, um, I, I probably have to go with Down With The Sickness only because I've heard it. 10,000 times and at Franz Gym. And how crazy to hear about that kid getting the shippy out of him by his mom. Yeah, it's just, it's too much. I've heard it too many times. It's overplayed for me. Um, so no more down with the sickness, even though it brings back nostalgia of Franz Gym sure. in the basement. You know, to be fair, you have banned one song from being played ever again at a meet. Yes, uh, we know. It's the <laughs> Star Spangled Banner by Jimmy Hendrix. Star Spangled Banner by Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> Because it's 10 fucking minutes long. <laughs> it's four and a half. And I've now long. downloaded a specific version of the Star <laughs> On my phone, specifically for me, so I don't have to ask anybody else again. You're welcome. Yes, thanks so much. <laughs> Somewhere out there, Dixie has... Oh, that picture is so good. She has a picture of me like with my head in my hands during that <laughs> national anthem. <laughs> so long. That was it at is. the Midwest Equipped Open last year. It just, was so great. Just ridiculous. Yes. I, I will never apologize for that. At Deadlifts and Fireball. <laughs> Top five bucket list of gyms you'd like to train at. Um, I'll let you start, Mr. Bain. Sure. Uh, so 
I wasn't 100% if we wanted to go with gyms that are currently open. I decided to say, fuck it. If it's a bucket list, it's just gyms that are, you know, have been. I would have loved to have gone to the original West Side in California, knowing what we know now about West Side in Ohio. Uh, I just, I, I think that would have been really, really cool to be able to do that. Uh, the Dog House, the Sweatshop, uh, Boss Barber Club in Northern California, and King's Gym in London, because I would love to train at uh, our friend Julian at 365 Muscle UK at his home gym. Okay. So, what about you? Um, I'd love to go back and because tra- I trained at Franz mm-hmm. in the mid 2000s, early 2000s. So I'd love to go back to the 1990s Franz gym where it was probably even more intense than it was in the 2000s, sure. even though we had some pretty, pretty elite lifters there at that time. Um, I'd love to train at the Elite FTS Compound just because I'd love to look at all the like prototype equipment they have yep. there and marvel at you know the 10 models they have and I trained at 4.0, not 5.0. It's open now, and it, it was nuts. It's crazy. Yeah, I would love to train there. Um, I'd love to train at Westside just because it's Westside. Yeah, um, yeah I, I agree with you. I'd love to train at the the Doghouse mm-hmm. and specifically to train with the Night Crew and Hoff yep. and his crew just yep. because I think it would be, be know, awesome. It'd be awesome to train with them. And I agree with you as well. I'd like to train at the Sweatshop just because, again, to train with Laura Phelps and her crew would be uh, – I could fully fanboy over Lower again. It'd be great. Quite, quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, no problem there. Um <laughs> Uh, Bane, any, qu- any additional questions on your end? No, I, th- I got them all. I did get a couple like the bullshit, uh, bots that answered my, uh, my ask me anything on Instagram. So fucking stupid bots. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm not familiar with those, but I don't, I don't, I'm not even sure I know how to do the question thing on Instagram stories. I'll, I'll tell you when you're older. Yeah. You'll tell me when I'm getting better on the social medias things. I, I, yeah. I did. I did figure out how to take a video of my phone. Yes. So I posted a clip of the podcast that mm-hmm. was like probably an hour long process of figuring out how to get <laughs> the audio on there. But I was very proud of myself for figuring that out. That was... I've got a question for you, Mr. Bane. Sure. When are you going to squat 700? I swear to God, I will kill you as soon as we're done recording, you motherfucker. <laughs> December 12th, 2020. Boom. Done. Okay. Well, you did uh, over the weekend squat what? 755. Was it to depth or were you right there? I think I was right there. I, I do think it was. If I, if that wasn't a meet, I don't think I'm getting that lift. Okay. I'll, so, I'll, be, I'll be up front. I, I mean, I dipped after the team called me up, but I do still think I was a little high. Okay. My but, 695, I know I'd bury that one. But all you got to do is squat 700 to squat 700. That's true. So what is the attempts going to be? We have not decided that yet. Okay. I would uh, suggest. My, my gut says we're probably going to go with something like 661 to open seven, 705. And then it, as long as those move well, we'll just say fuck it. And what, whatever the, even though I can't set the world record, whatever the raw world record is uh, in the AWPC, we're just going to go for that. My suggestion would be to go 705 in your second, Mr. Bain. That's, yeah, that's what I oh, said. Yeah. I know. I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just you know, reinforcing yep. that because if you want to squat 700 and you don't yep. want to have me and others yep. ragging on you for not squatting 700 raw, yep. I think you should squat that in your second attempt. So you get that in the meat, and then anything after that is just yep, gravy. That, exactly. And then if I somehow fuck it up, I get, at least have another attempt to try exactly. it. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So. There's, there's some free strategy for you there, kids. Right. I've done that before. Yep. When are you going to bench 500, man? Uh, that's a good question. I don't have a distinct answer for you because I've, I've not decided whether I'm going to put my effort towards that goal or putting the canvas suit back on and try to squat 700 again. So here, here is a question that I'm just going to leave out in the ether. When will the Strength and Anger podcast share a platform in Multiply? Hmm. There a, we go, kids. That's an interesting one, Mr. Bain. I don't know. But I that could happen. That could happen. That could happen. That would that'd be cool. 
Well, coming up, Mr. Bain, uh, I think we finally have an interview that we've been aiming for. I think we have it coming so. up soon. Hopefully next, so. So hopefully next week that mm-hmm. will drop. Um, again, we've still got our performance-enhancing drug episode. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're a little bit uh, negligent with some of our uh, episodes over the next couple of weeks, you know. Uh, we've got Worlds. We've got WPO, Worlds. WPO. Uh, I'll we've be traveling. A- and then we've got North of the Border, which I believe we're both going to now. Yes. Uh, uh, in Ohio. So. so we've got a lot going on. So we're, we're going to do our best, but uh, hopefully we'll at least get you a couple episodes the next couple of weeks. But if we're... A little, and I think we actually have an interview we're going to do the week of Worlds as well. I believe so, yes. So we might have a bunch of interviews. It might be a couple of weeks before we get to another proper, mm-hmm. you know, Eric Stone researched yes. notes episode. Um, but we will get to that PED episode sooner or later because that's one I am very interested in. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Test is assumed, right? Five hundred milligrams for Always. recovery. Always. Right. With that, this is Eric Stone signing out. Strength and anger.